Our next section is going to be a special panel of our speakers. Mike and Michelle are going to lead out in this, and we're going to invite our speakers to come up at this time, and we're going to have Q&A. All right. Well, we have come to the time where you've gotten to hear from all of our speakers except one, which is Dr. Walsh, who will share our closing charge after this. But this is the time when we promised you that these speakers could answer your questions. So we've been getting in questions. We're going to go through a few of those. And also, we can still probably take a few more via text, potentially. So I don't know if that number is going to go up there. Um, but if it does, you can text a few more here. But why don't we start with a word of prayer? We're not going to do introductions. You've met all these guys already today. But let's pray first as we start. Father in heaven, thank you so much for just the inspiration of what you are doing through the people up here in this panel. And we know that's just a small subsection of what you're doing through people in this room and in your work in general. But I pray that you would guide right now what we share, what we discuss, and that it would be the things that are beneficial, the things that you want shared at this time. And so I just pray for this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, the first one is a little bit more of a general one, so I'm going to throw this to whoever feels like answering this, but it's a big one. How do you balance working in the professional world and the side of ministry? So maybe some of you in the corporate world who have that job and are doing ministry, uh, who would like to answer that question to start us out? All right, Dr. Walsh. I guess I'll go first since no one else jumped on this one. Um, this is very challenging, actually, and it's one of the most difficult uh, parts of being a professional in a very secular world. Um, you know, I, and if you, many of you have seen, you're talking about social media. Uh, my face has been all over social media and the internet and YouTube and everywhere else, and, um, and it was by choice. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. I was never afraid to have my name attached to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I knew and I told my brother this even years before everything happened to me, that what I'm doing is one day going to cause me to, to lose everything I have. I knew it because I knew what I preached and I knew the world in which we live. You cannot have your profession as an idol. If your profession becomes an idol, if your career becomes an idol, you will lose your soul to your idol. And there are a lot of people in this room right now that really our profession comes first. We would never take the chance to go through what I went through because we would never want to lose everything. The problem with that philosophy is you don't, you don't give God the credit for having given you everything in the first place. Um, and so if he can, if, like Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you're going into profession, and my talk after this is entitled Your First Profession, your first profession has to be your profession of faith. It has to be that. And if you're not willing to leave everything at the foot of the cross, to lose everything like Christ did, like Paul did, like Daniel did, like the three Hebrew boys did, like David did, I can go on and on and on, then your, your profession, you may thrive at it, but spiritually it can actually choke you out. I think this is particularly why the Sabbath commandment is so valuable. We are commanded to work for six days and rest one day. So if you can't accomplish your work in six days, you're probably doing more than what God has called you to do. All right, the next question is for Gary. It's uh, for the presenter in the blue shirt who has three master degrees. 
Is it possible to get the presentation of the Bible characters who had the different circumstances and overcome them? I guess the question is, if they wanted resources, is there a way they can get some of the resources you had, or anyone? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, who would they contact with, I guess, is there a, an a email address that's associated with... Yeah, I think what we'll do is that before the end of the presentations this evening, we'll give a contact informa information for the young adults, and they can email that. So we'll do that after this. Uh, we'll have that up that they can contact, and that you can send it to us. We could probably send it. Yeah, no problem. All right, here's one for those of you who are working with uh, groups and teams. What do you look for when building a team to build a business? All right, Chef Chu. Think it's yeah, coming. right now, I mean, we're in the process of, of building a team um, for our manufacturing uh, operation. Um, but one of the things I have, one of my closest friends actually has become one of my, my greatest business partners. But you look for people that have similar core values um, that you have. And I like to say, one of my pastors told me a long time ago is that, uh, you know, time is your friend. Uh, meaning, like, time really becomes your educator on a person's character. And you find ways to, you know, have those intimate conversations and you ask questions. You know, Jesus, when he was in the temple when he was 12 years old, what did he do? He asked questions. And you can just simply just take time before you kind of give a person a, a major responsibility, you take that intimate conversations, that time to get to understand who they are. You know, and you get to see what their values are, what they think, what they believe. And you know that when a crisis comes, because in business, a crisis is going to come. You know that by their responses, things that you, they're saying, you know, eventually that's their character is going to come through. <clears throat> the reason why this is so important for our company, last thing I say is that, you know, we're raising a lot of money right now as a business. And also our business is a very sexy business in the sense that there's a lot of people investing a lot of money into what we're doing. And so eventually we might have an opportunity to sell our company to another person or we might can take investment, but that, that might not be the right investment. So the people that's on my team or even the investors that actually are investing, they also become team members as well. They can lead you to do things that go against your values. So I think values are number one when it comes to your team, knowing that they have the same faith, uh, perspective, same belief systems uh, when it comes to business, family, friends, that type of stuff is super important as you get your close inter intermediate uh, kind of team. Yeah, may, I, I have uh, maybe a, a little bit of a, a different perspective having been through now eight different ventures, three really fast growing ones that have grown to hundreds of employees and seen what can happen. And I started out with the same ethos, which is essentially bring on people that you trust, maybe that you've known for a long period of time, that you feel like that there is some loyalty, that you're going to have loyalty when there's, you know, hard times come. But the problem is with the loyalty ethos is that they expect that you're also going to be loyal to them under all circumstances. And, and what happens is, as the company grows quickly, there's these growth and transition points. You get to, say, 10 employees, and at 10 employees, the ways you've been doing things from you know, two or three employees doesn't work anymore. So you've got to completely reconfigure, and then there's another wall at, like, 50 employees, and there's another wall at 100 employees, and another wall at 200 employees. And if you don't completely change the way that you're doing things, you smash against that wall, and you just cannot get through it. It doesn't matter how much energy and time and money you throw at it. It's like, unless you completely change, and the problem is... There's this expectation for those that were with you from the beginning that they're entitled to the same position or higher as the company grows. And the, the harsh reality is they bust. They can't do it. 
for their life. You know, if millions of dollars depend on it, they just can't do it. And you have to be able to fire. You know, well, you don't want to fire them, but what usually happens is they, they protect themselves. They start hiding information. They're trying to conceal their incompetence. And it's just a horrible cycle of shame. It's just a, a terrible situation to get into where you're conflicted between your loyalty to your friend and your loyalty to the investors and to the business and what you have to do to grow. So if you put yourself in that position to where you feel like you can't make those decisions, um, it gets really, really ugly. Like in a way that's not ugly that if it's just someone that you hired and you know they're not working out anymore because they're not hitting the metrics. I think uh, if we could pass the mic to over here to Jeff. Yeah, I think um, a part of culture and values, um, some of the pieces that are really helpful for me in building a team is I've, I've seen there's four essential people on a team. There's the dreamer, the doer, the details person, and the uh, team builder. And having four of those different characters on your team, you don't want four dreamers on your team. You don't want four doers on your team. You need different elements to help balance out a team. Another good book to read on that is The E-Myth Revisited where it talks about there's three essential people that are a part of a company. There's the entrepreneur, there's the manager, and there's the engineer, the technician. And so you need three of those essential people uh, to be a part of a company and a team to accomplish everything. You can't have all engineers, you can't have all dreamers and entrepreneurs, you have to have a balance of all of them. All right, let's go to our next question. This is for all of you, and it's gonna be just real quick, one answer each. Would, would each panelist name one resource or education tool that was a great benefit for them in their business? So besides the Bible, Spirit, Prophecy, maybe it was a book, maybe it was a course you took. What was it that helped you uh, be successful? How to Win at the Sport of Business by Mark Cuban. Um, good to Great was the book, I would say. You know, one thing was a lecture that I listened to by a high-level manager from a Ritz-Carlton. And what they, one of the things that I took away from this is that they don't take people, because Rich Carlson is known for the best service in the world, right, for hotels. They set the standard. Is that they don't try to train people to be a certain way. They find the right people. And I found even in my own dental practice, I'm on my fourth practice right now, it's key is finding the right people and then teaching them. It's difficult to take just somebody and try to train them to be that happy, good attitude kind of person. And that's really uh, something that stayed with me. There's no books on YouTube yet. It's all YouTube tutorials or podcasts. <laughs> I'm going to echo Dr. Walsh, Good to Great and Great by Choice. And specifically in Good to Great, there's this hedgehog principle. And basically three circles. Number one, what can I be the best in the world at? Number two, what's my financial engine? And three, what am I passionate about? When you find the intersection of those three circles, that's what you should pursue. Hey, this is uh, the old YouTube, and that is... Um, Zig Ziglar with um, Over the Top. Yeah, so it's a tape series or cassette or DVD or, you know, whatever, but M MP3 now. So, But it's really good just to prime you and give you some good basic um, confidence and, uh, I guess, life skills. Um, one uh, a book, uh, Start With Why, uh, Simon Sinek. Sinek. He did a really amazing TED Talk uh, years back, but he's on TED Talks. But Simon Sinek, uh, Start With Why, it's a pretty amazing book. There's a book and an audio book by Brian Tracy called The Psychology of Selling. When I first started in business, I got this audio tape, and so I, I actually listened to it about three times a day for about, I don't know, five months, because when I was driving, it was just on loop, and that actually helped. Maybe I was crazy at the time, but I recommend at least once. 
Um, I'm drawing a blank on the author's name because he was like my professor and I should remember this. <laughs> but it's a book on advocacy and influence. And I found that any book like that that really teaches you how to uh, win people over, win their confidence, and learn how to basically build bridges with people in a way that um, builds advocacy. I found that really helpful in my career. Awesome. Thank you all. Hope you all got all those or else listen to the recording later to get those resources. But uh, so our, our, our texting's kind of blowing up here with questions from Justin for Justin. So I'm going to ask a kind of <laughs> ask Justin if we could pass the mic down there. Uh, do you make money out of your YouTube videos and is it enough to sustain yourself? And then, you know, kind of with the last question, do you, you know, have training classes for people on this? <laughs> Okay, so the last question, yes, shop.thatchristianvlogger.com. I have a 14-part course that teaches you pretty much everything that I've used as far as strategy to grow a, a YouTube channel, shop.thatchristianvlogger.com. What was the second question? Money. Do you make uh, money? Uh, Do you sustain yourself on this vlogging? That whole sustain money? word, like, that's a, that's a difficult word to define. Uh, since uh, I believe that in marriage it's not just like my finances and her finances, it's our finances, in a certain sense, yeah, we're sustainable. <laughs> my, my wife is the, the primary breadwinner or, or stripple winner in our home. Uh, she brings the stripples home. Uh, not the bacon, that was a joke. Um, Yes, I do make money on YouTube. Uh, it's not enough to where it's, I could fully say it's enough, but it, it makes the equivalent of a healthy part-time job. So I do that, and then uh, another part of my income is freelancing uh, like video production for uh, a business in Vancouver. Yes. Next question we have, if um, this is up for grabs, what is your biggest success story or fail story, and what lessons did you learn from it? Well, I'll, I'll maybe share a failure. I can, I can do that one. So, yeah, when I start, so I, I was talking about this earlier. I started my, my first business, and I was naive. And so we started making some money, not too much. And so I started buying all these cars, and we bought this house, and we would travel, and we'd do all these things. And so all the money I made, I spent on these, these kind of quote-unquote investments in the business. You know, it was a tax write-off, and I could leverage it to actually kind of push this aura of us being successful so we could recruit more. Well, when the whole thing went down, I had zero dollars in savings. It was not a good situation. This was at the end of 2004, and so I pretty much lost everything. I had to move back with my dad. Credit rating, for a period of time, I had a credit rating of 460 or something like this. You don't even want to know what that is. And so collectors calling all the time. So I, I, there's this, I learned a lot about credit. My credit is great now. Actually, there's a seven-year sabbatical, and there's a lot. We could talk later if you have bad credit. But the reality is, is I learned that you don't want to do that. You want to actually, yeah, I mean, be excited about the prospect of the thing growing. But, you know, I see some people starting businesses. There's a friend of mine, he started this business where he wanted to sell books online and do different things, and he threw the whole thing on his credit card. Well, it didn't work. Now he's $10,000 in debt, and he's scrambling just to be able to pay his rent. And so... There's, there's, you want to be smart about it. You don't want to be too optimistic, you know, especially if you're brand new. I see that as a, a thing with a lot of new entrepreneurs. They get extremely optimistic. Hey, my friend started this Amazon business selling whatever, and so I'm going to do that too, and I'm going to make 50000 a month in three months. And so I hear that a lot. 
and you know if that happens great but it, it, it's it's sometimes harder and you want to be smarter if you make money try to save it if you can that's kind of what I learned from that so that's what I will share I can share some stories uh, I started my first restaurant in 2008 uh, I was about 25 26 um, like Sean said, uh, you know, you got, I got excited. You know, I read so many books, and so I literally financed my whole restaurant on credit cards. So you're talking about a, almost $100,000 in credit cards to start this restaurant, and I had a few other friends that went into this business. <laughs> um, and so, and you know what happens on credit cards? They give you one year, what, 0%, 18 months, 0% interest, and you don't realize it probably might take about a year just to get the restaurant off the ground. Um, so now, you know, I had some free rent and so forth, and so everything just literally just kind of came to a, an immediate, all the 20% interest rates are now hitting me. You know, the rent is due. We still got to pay our rent at our, where we live, and, and it was a nightmare. I mean, it was a nightmare, and, um, and so like Sean said, it's sabbatical on your credits. Now I have a 700-plus credit, but I went through the pain of knowing never finance a restaurant, something that's super high risk super high risk business ventures, do not finance it on a credit card. There's better ways of doing that. Or simpler ways of getting into a business that doesn't have the risk, do things that are more simple if you're gonna use a credit card that doesn't have the higher risk as, as something like what I did. So a failure, a big one. Well, I could tell you um, stories about outrageous success with waterfalls of money just landing on our laps and just how <laughs> great life is, but it's, it's a lot more fun to hear about people's failures. And when I was 20 years old, I started a computer graphics card company. We worked with a Commodore Amiga computer. I don't know if anyone remembers the Commodore Amiga. But um, it went out of business. Commodore went, went out of business. And when they went bankrupt, our business dried up overnight. And I had a company in Los Angeles that we were partnered with. They were the, the, the seller and the promoter of, of our product. Well, the owner wasn't a very nice man. And he demanded that I sell my company to him for a very small amount of money, or otherwise very bad things were going to happen to me. And I'd seen how he'd done business in other certain circumstances, and it usually involved firearms and, 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 and bad things. So I, I, I literally had to pack up everything that I had with $200 in my pocket and basically go into hiding. And I, I literally had hitmen turning up at my friend's place that I'd been staying at because I'd made the mistake of calling his business from my friend's phone to try to work out some sort of negotiation. Luckily, I wasn't there. And was living basically in my car, virtually homeless for about a year, um, you know, trying to start up new startups and things. But I know what it's like to be completely bust broke with no work permit in this country you know, no one, just just doing what you possibly can to survive and trying to scrap out like the next gig. Like what's it gonna be? Where's, what's something I can do to get back on my feet again? So I've been, you know, I've lived through both sides of that and it was an awful, awful feeling. It was an awful time, but it makes you appreciate the good things and, and, and there's nothing, what's that, saying something like, you know, nothing doth quicken the senses like hell or something like that. But when you, you know, when you are facing, when you're looking over the edge and you're looking at complete total disaster, it really gets you motivated to figure things out. Wow. Thank you all for sharing these things because I think sometimes it seems like, wow, there's all these great successes, but if I fail, I can't do it. But you guys have been successful and uh, 
I mean, you failed even with someone hunting you down with firearms. So if you can recover from that, then uh, gives me hope that we can recover from other failures or things. Jason, did you have something real quick? Uh, you know, I'll share something, a failure in the ministry side of our business. We opened up our third juice bar, and right after that, on this weekend, there was a race. And the race ended right outside of my juice bar door on Saturday. And you better believe I wanted to be open. Everyone's like, you're coming at the perfect time. There's going to be thousands of people right outside your door. And, and we didn't open on Sabbath. But everyone came in and asked me why we weren't open on Sabbath. And I was thinking, I don't want to be too forward to these people. I don't know them. I want to build a relationship with them. And I said, well, I give my employees one day off a week. We just take it as a day of rest. You know, it's kind of one of our core principles. Sounds okay, right? People thought I was so lazy. They thought I was just taking a day off. Literally, like, why don't you take another day off? Like, take... Sunday off, take Monday off. <laughs> and I walked in one day, and one of my employees, and the last person you'd think would be doing this, and if she was here, she, she would say that was true. I'm not, I'm not saying you know, anything behind her back. Was explaining to someone why we were closed, because it was the Sabbath, because we're Seventh-day Adventists, because we go to church on that day. And I was like, shocked. I just walked into my store, and this is going on. And the guy was like, oh, that's cool. And they respect that. When you tell them, this is my religious conviction, you know, it's founded on the Bible, People will respect your religious beliefs much more than just thinking, ah, you want a day off, you want a day of rest. Um, so I would encourage you to be bold with your faith. People will respect that. Amen. All right, we have one quick one for Sapria that came in. It said, how did you start ministry opportunities and activities on a secular campus and get through all the paperwork and such to be able to do that? Okay. So the one good thing is nowadays there's so many resources, and there's a lot of people who have gone before you and done this. So first I would reach out to somebody who started one recently. So like when I started um, like the OSU, Oregon State University, Berkeley started soon after actually. And so the guys who were at Berkeley reached out to us at that time because we had just started it and like a year later Berkeley was starting something. And so reach out to someone who's been there because some people have already done it and they're ready and willing to mentor you and help you. That's one thing. And then, of course, there are resources on campus. I started two ACFs, one in Oregon State, another one in um, UT Austin. So there are resources there to help you. But even more so, I look into all the campus ministries right now that are very well known and successful. I, mean, I think ACF has a, a website, and um, they have resources, and there's other you know, Michigan campus ministries and all the other ones. So I'd reach out to some of these guys and uh, get information from them because Yes, the paperwork can be a little daunting. You do have to have the right amount of people, you know, and all of that. But even if you don't, you can still start. I mean, I remember begging, like, somebody random, literally, I was like, can you just sign this paper because I need to get this club started? And I didn't have enough people yet, but that's okay. You know, if you, if you have at least another person that you're willing to, that wants to do it, um, start there and go look for someone to help you and ask for guidance. And it's really good also within your church if you can find a mentor or somebody there. So, of course, your pastor and other leadership. But if you can find at least, you know, maybe there's a couple there that would like to help the students out or start something. Or maybe your church wants to get on board and actually start doing something in your campus community there. Because a lot of churches, you know, they sit in the middle of a secular university campus and they're totally, like, not even connected to the student group. So... My, one of my old churches is now starting a whole campus ministry thing. They're supporting, reaching out to international students, and they're starting a whole new thing. So look into ideas, meet other people, and um, pray that God will give you the wisdom of what you need to do. I'm going to give this to oh, well, That's fine. He could probably comment on this a lot more, too. Our next question is, 
um, we don't have much time. It's just a couple minutes. And so real quickly, it's related to the last one beforehand. And it's basically, since many of you have experienced failure, what would you have done over 10 years ago or whenever it was if you could go back in time uh, so that you could maybe do things a little bit differently? What would you do differently now with the knowledge you know? Part of the problem a lot of people have with, with, with becoming successes is that they don't embrace failure. So when I ran the health department and we were incredibly successful in Pasadena, I would always in our all staff meetings, I'd always tell everybody, do not be afraid to fail. I want you to dream big. It goes back to the big, hairy, audacious goals from the book Good to Great. Dream big. Don't be afraid to fail. There's power in accepting the fact that you can fail and learning from your failures. So a lot of people say, look, I want a career, I want a path where I never fail. But the truth of the matter is, it is sometimes in that process of failing that you actually learn what you need to learn to be successful when God's time for you to be successful comes. And that is a biblical principle. You could go back and ask Joseph, would you have gone downstairs and told your brothers for breakfast that you dreamed that they were gonna bow down to you as your father laid that coat of many colors on you, he would say, he would never have said, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that differently. Joseph's you know, mistake, a lot of preachers say, in being bold about that dream, those dreams, was a mistake and that's why he was sold into slavery. But it's also why he one day sat next to Pharaoh. So understand that you, you must embrace failure. And a lot of people are so, a lot of us are so, um, intolerant to pain um, on any level that we can't be successful because we're trying too hard to figure out a way to get to the end zone without ever having to hit another player. Um, and so you got to learn, don't be afraid of failure. Out of that, God will do great things. With that, as a, and you can share anything you want here. We're, we're at the end of our time. We want to give a chance for each of you, if you could summarize like a basically a one sentence or so challenge to people in this room of what you would encourage them to take away from here and go home and do, what would you share with our audience here? So love to hear from each of you. What would you like to leave with our group here? <laughs> uh, for me, I guess it's also dovetails on the last question is what, what I wish I would have done 10 years ago was have the tools necessary to get to where I'm at, meaning have a strong personal assessment of where I'm currently at and what I'm doing um, based on like the presentation I mentioned. I wish I would have known like my strengths, my Myers-Briggs and all of those things to know who I was earlier and then set goals, have a plan and then have somebody hold me accountable to it versus just doing everything. One thing I didn't mention in my, uh, in my presentation was babies when they're born, they have twice as many synoptic uh, connections. Mm -hmm over time they start pruning those synoptic connections and you start, uh, you're not as creative over time. But in the beginning of birthing something, the more you expose yourself, the more you experience things, the more you're able to hone in and prune the things that you are good at and double down on those things and lean into it. So I guess find a way to, uh, to learn about yourself. You know, Working in volunteer ministry, I would always put people in a position that they thoroughly enjoy doing. Like, for example, I don't like working with children. So I particularly, that was something I always <laughs> put to someone else. But you know what's interesting? In my own church, there was a need for a youth leader, and my own kids are in the youth class. And because we had no one, I stepped in. 
only because my kids are in there and I want to make sure they have a good youth experience. You know what? Come to find out, I absolutely love doing it. It's become a passion. It's something I look forward to every Sabbath because I get to make an impact in the lives of our young people. And it's something that I, I found that God took something that I disliked and it's become one of my greatest passions. And so, you know, what I've learned from this is that give it to God. Give it to God. And if you're willing to put yourself out there, it's amazing what God can do in your own heart. And, you know, let, he, let him bless you. And it's amazing. It's an amazing journey. Uh, my challenge would be to, to, to be the change that you want to see either in the world or in my context within the church. Uh, you see a, 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 a gaping hole where there's a massive need for something. Rather than just complain about it, rather than just wait for the old people to get it, rather than waiting for budgets to line up, like, don't worry about any of those things. Recognize that that's a calling from God and step into it in courage and in faith. Be the change that you want to see in the world and in the church. My challenge for you would be... Um when we look at the life of Christ, we realize that he risked everything to save humanity. And I would challenge you, don't be afraid to take a risk for him. Every single one of you have the seeds of incredible greatness inside of you. And it's fear that gets, or worried about what people will think that gets in the way of you doing it. So my challenge to you is to Live an extraordinary life. Take the risk and don't have regrets. Don't look back on your life and say, I, I knew I wanted to do this, but I never did. I never tried. Go out there and do it. You know, it's not going to be easy. It may not even work out the way you think it will, but take the path less traveled. Do what you're called to do. You know, it's funny. My wife and I went to an uh, Asian restaurant a few days back, and I got a fortunate cookie that said, to face adversity willingly. And it was, I was like, I was spellbound because that's been some of my, weak, my weakest moments is that as adversity always comes, especially as entrepreneurs, as ministry leaders, you always are going to face adversity. That's what the Bible promises. And many times my weakness has been, especially when it comes to delay. I hate delay. And delay is like the thing that gets me most irritated, frustrated, angry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm learning that in delay, you know, you become, have your greatest ideas, you have your greatest, you learn about yourself the most. Um, and so be, be vulnerable to delay and realize that delay will bring out some of the best or it could bring out some of the worst of you. And if you trust God in that moment, it can really bring forth a fruit that can be truly amazing. Amen, amen. This kind of also dovetails with the last question. Uh, I talked about this earlier, about the seven levels of a kind of business, for those of you that were there in the morning. And so you have to make sure that you are not in levels one through three. And so this is when you're just doing any kind of business and you're not considering what the Bible and spirit of prophecy clearly tell us. And so you don't want to be involved in things that are going to cause you to break the Sabbath or going to cause you to lie or going to cause you to break any kind of commandment or anything. You don't want to start a brothel, for instance, or, or anything like this, okay? And so the reality is, is you want to be... You want to be, it's late in the day. That would, have, that would have clicked a lot sooner. So the reality is, is you want to be very careful about this, okay? You want to be very, very careful about this, because here's what's going to happen. All right, now maybe you say, I want to start a steakhouse. You know, steak is not pork, but, you know, it has blood in the meat, right? We know that too. So the thing is, you want to be very careful about this kind of stuff, because here's what's going to happen. Either it's going to be a failure anyways, whatever, or if it's successful, now you're, you're in a crossroads now. 
Because now you're going to get convicted, and you're going to have to make a decision. And that could, you know, this, is a, this could be salvational stuff. You don't want to mess around with that stuff. Or you, you end up in a situation where you might have to shut the thing down or, or, or change. It's, it's kind of like start off on the right foot. Amen. Make sure at least you have an agnostic business, you know. Do something that is not even religious at all. So that way, if you want to, you know, infuse religion in it later, you could maybe. But don't do anything that's violating the clear things that we see in the Bible and spirit of prophecy. Just don't do it no matter what. Stop immediately if you have something like that going on. Or talk to me or talk to someone else because you're going to have to change it later. Very good. Uh, my challenge is just do not be satisfied with the status quo. And by that, I mean no matter what it is you are doing. I mean, this is my philosophy. If I am the greeter at church, I will go and talk to all the greeters who have gone before me, and I will learn everything there is about, about greeting. But then I will not stay and just do it. You know, I'm not, I do not like tradition. I'll just be honest with you. I am non-traditional. So I will look and see how can I make that better? How can I make being a greeter better in my church, in my local church, in my conference, in the world, right? So. Do it to the best of your ability, but ask God for help because the only way we are going to make any changes in our church, in our community, and do the things that all these guys are talking about is don't be satisfied with where you're at and really look to see how God, what insight and wisdom God is going to give you to not be satisfied with the status quo and go beyond that. Thank you, all of you. On behalf of ASI, we want to thank each and every one of you. We know that you're busy. We know that you have businesses. We know that you have responsibilities. We know that you have a family for many of you. And so for you to take the time to come here, it really means a lot. Can we say amen to all of that? Amen. At this time, we would just like to dismiss with prayer and also a prayer of dedication for each of all of you. Oh. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all that you've done. We thank you so much that you have given us this time together. And I pray for each attendee that they can apply the things, the words of wisdom. Lord, we know that there are three kinds of people in this world. The people who learn from other people's mistakes, the people who learn from their own mistakes, and the people who never learn. I pray that we can learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before us. And for those who are up here, those who are starting a business, who are on the front lines of business, social media, health, or their profession, wherever they are, we pray the prayer of Jabez for them, that you would bless them indeed, that you would enlarge their territory, you would protect them from evil. We pray that for all of them in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.